Hello, welcome to the 108th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. I'm Matt Enlow. And I'm Warren Kaplan, and today we are catching up. It's been a while since we've talked about what's going on in our life, and we thought we'd let you guys know where we are career-wise, what we are excited about, what we're worried about. We're going to talk about pitching, about the balance between making your own work and waiting for the phone to ring. And just kind of give you a little, a short little update on our experience directing in LA. Yeah, I think this one is going to be pertinent for anyone who's ever uh, wanted to level up or change their career offline or not. I talk about whether or not it's valuable to talk about ourselves and our career and what we're doing uh, or not. And I feel like in the last year or so, we've had a chance to talk with more people who listen to the show. And it's been nice to learn that for some people, it's nice to see the the process and the the trajectory of a directing career and the way that it works. And so hopefully that's insightful for you. If not, you know, uh, we'll see you next episode when we're entering, interviewing someone hopefully you've heard of. I think this will be insightful. I think even the most busy, experienced directors I know have that issue of figuring out if they should be shooting their own stuff or hustling to get work from other people. So I think this is a pretty universal topic. But before we get into the main part of the show, before we get into our topics, uh, Orin and I have a little announcement, actually. As of this episode, we are launching our Patreon page. What's a Patreon, you say? What's a Patreon? So a Patreon, for those of you who don't know, is kind of like a Kickstarter, except for that it's on a rolling sort of subscription base. So in the same way that NPR does a a crowdfunding fundraising drive, uh, this is sort of like a year-round opportunity for you to support the show in a small way so basically how it works is you can go to patreon.com slash just shoot it pod and you can see the information about our show what we are looking for support for yeah so there's a couple different tiers that you can subscribe to but you know i think the ones that most people are going to subscribe to are the dollar per month or four dollars per month so that kind of breaks down to either a quarter per episode or a dollar per episode. That little bit of money will go a long way if enough of you guys chip in. So we'd appreciate it. We're still kind of fine-tuning the rewards, but it's just something that we thought we'd put on people's radars. The show will always be free, and this is just for people who have a little bit of extra disposable income um, and who want to supplement the show so that we can help it grow and that we can reach out to more filmmakers who maybe don't have the means to support it. We just want to make sure that everybody is uh, supported as best we can. And just to be uh, clear to everyone or clear with everyone, so the show, Orin and I lose money on it every single episode. And uh, that's not a problem for us. We're happy to do it. We love the show. We get so much in return and so much from the community and from talking to all these filmmakers. We're going to do it forever. However, you'll notice that the credit roll at the end of the episode has been getting a little bit longer. We've got webmasters. We've got two editors. We've just signed on a new producer who we'll talk about a little bit more soon. And so, you know, it's important to us that we compensate them for their time. As the team grows a little bit, we want to basically supplement the cash that Oren and I are very gladly uh, shelling out um, and pay them a little bit more. Right now, Jay and Christopher, who have been with us for, boy, a year plus, I think, at this point, a long time. Uh, have been working really hard uh, for pennies on the hour. So we want to just make sure that they're getting a little bit more of their fair share and um, create some more opportunities to grow the show. So if you want to support us, check out patreon.com slash justshootitpod. And if you don't, then just keep listening to the episodes. And now let's get on with the show. 
to Oren, you and I are both in kind of um, a funny place mentally because we are both waiting to hear on jobs or have pitched or about to pitch or have pitched on jobs that would firmly put us in the next level, the next phase of our careers. So I think what happened is I was complaining to you that I'm really going all in pitching on these various jobs, mostly commercial jobs, but also a few series and some other scripted things, and that I'm not getting as many positive results as I'm used to, and I'm not getting feedback as much as, I, as I'm as i used to, but it's strange because I feel like I'm working way harder in order to land these jobs, and your response to me was, yeah, dude, you're. it's because you're leveling up. Now you're going up. You kind of were like a medium-sized fish in a medium-sized pond, and now you are just stepped into the big pond. Yeah. Uh, and so, for example, today, one of the, I pitched on this commercial, and today I found out who I'm pitching against, which is, it could be good or bad. It's good because you can find, figure out how to best position yourself as a unique director in a way, but it's bad because you can get really in your head. You kind of lose the perspective of just what's your best idea, and you're trying to think of, how you would pitch versus other people. Anyway, so I found out today that one of the directors I'm pitching against is like uh, directed an Oscar-winning movie from last year. <laughs> so it's a, it's a, you know yeah, from last year a different game. It's not even like ah oh, well yeah in like 1972 we directed an Oscar-winning movie and now no one cares. No, it's uh, not like an 85 year old like old person, right? It's um it's someone that's very relevant and really cool, and so. The people in my production company are like, that's awesome. Like, look at who you're pitching against. Yeah. And they picked you as one of the three people that they want to hear from. It's so it's cool to be in that sort of company. Right. It's like getting the bronze medal in the Olympics. Mm-hmm. It's not the yeah. gold, but it's an Olympic medal. Yeah. I pitched on my first uh, Netflix show. Oh, um, right. And um, I really wanted to talk a f- like a few days ago because I think we were both kind of right in the throes of that. Like, just mentally, just kind of like... Oh my god! If I got this, it would be a big deal. But also, knowing that the odds of like getting that first job in that next level is pretty rare. You know, it's like the first TV show or Netflix show that you pitch on, getting it, you know, probably isn't going to happen. It's going to take a couple chances, right? Unless your name is Tony Ascenda. <laughs> sure, you get you get uh, lucky every once in a while, or you create your own opportunities every once in a while. But um. That's a different deal. He wasn't pitching. I, this was a work for hire thing. So like, right. I think, you know, creating your own work is always going to be the way to go and the way to, to get you to those other things. And when you luck into an opportunity where you get to pitch on something that you didn't create yourself, you know, those are cool opportunities as well, but they're, um, it's hard, they're hard to get still. And so, um, since that happened, I did a great job. I was, I was in the pitch for like an hour and a half, which is a really good sign. And I gelled with the creator and uh, it was on the lot, which was nice. I got to just walk on over and didn't need to drive on or anything. On the Warner Brothers lot. On the Warner lot. Yeah, yeah. Which is where you've been working. Correct. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is a little confidence boost. You know, like it feels like, oh, great. You know, maybe I do actually belong here. But, you know, my agent said to me, day or two later when I was like oh I'm like you know let me know how if you get any feedback and let me know what they say because I'd felt pretty good about the pitch actually and I would put together a nice little lookbook and stuff and he was like so you're still on the list they really liked you 
but they wanted me to let you know that you know you're up against some heavy hitters <laughs> and um that you know in a year they probably wouldn't be able to afford me right so that's a very flattering nice way of saying like it's not 100% no it's just 98% no right we're waiting to hear back on these yeah. people's schedules yeah all of these other people if their schedule works out they're going to get the job and you're kind of the probably the fourth or fifth choice so I'm not holding my breath on it. Yeah, well, I know the feeling of feeling like you nailed an interview and then not getting the job. Yeah, you know what's funny? I didn't nail it. I feel like I said to my agent, I was like, I've booked the job off worse meetings, I think is what I said to him. Yeah, you know, we've talked about this like since day one on the podcast, which is should a really good director be able to get any directing job or should they only be able to get the job that they would be really good for. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, I think that the funny thing about the competition, and I don't have the the privilege of knowing exactly who I was up against, but um, I kind of heard through the grapevine that it's a lot of people who have won fancy awards, right? So like they w- they had a short at Sundance or a South By or a place like that. And um, they've, they've got a really like sexy, but short, resume um and so the frustrating thing with the conversations is that at this point because it's still a pretty low budget right which is why i'm being considered for it it's yeah it's uh it's effectively network but on their much much lower scale so um i have the track record to execute off that stuff in a way that oftentimes a person who just has a great short maybe doesn't know how to execute like there's a difference between shooting one good short and being able to crossboard eight episodes of television, right? Which at this point I've done a couple times. And so it was frustrating to not be the sexy choice, to be the practical choice. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I very much know what you mean. You know, we both have a friend, Eben, that is constantly telling us he wants to hire us because we're reliable and dependable and we've worked together before. And we're always like, Eben, don't hire us because we're reliable and dependent. Hire me because I'm a genius. So I totally get it. Though I did think our last conversation with Payman Benz the other day was eye-opening in what he said about how most network TV shows, if they had the option of not hiring a director, probably wouldn't (laughs) because they already know how the show works and they can just do it themselves. But they are required based on their contract with the DGA to hire a director. Yeah, I you know, I think he's being a little flip there, but it it is there is some certainly some truth to that, you know. His point of like them being fine without us is not wholly untrue. Right. But he was kind of saying that in TV episodic there is actually a value to dependability and reliability mm-hmm. and being able to collaborate with existing people. Like the job you're doing right now, you're kind of plugged into a system with so many people that had been working there for many years. And it takes a certain type of person to be able to learn the system Mm -hmm. and go with the flow as opposed to trying to change everything on day one. Yeah. Because they would not allow it Uh, and, (laughs) and they don't need to because it's, it's, this is a proven system that works. But so when you're pitching, when you're like going to go romance a show creator, you know, you don't want to be like, don't worry, I make my days. You know, like that's that you tell that to a line producer. You don't tell that to a creative. You say, I'm going to make you incredible. I'm going to bring all these cool ideas. I've got a fresh take. We're going to 
change the world together. You know, and I used to be the dark horse, like young gun, you know? And so it's this funny transition to being a little bit more establishment. Well, yeah, I think in the digital space, if you look at your resume and my resume, we've done so much, you know? We've each done a bunch of series for many years. We've had viral videos. We've had branded content. We've done commercials that have been on TV and we've won awards. But when you're now talking about TV and you're talking about giant multi-million dollar network commercials, people don't care about your Webby awards, sure. you know? Sure. They they care about Sundance, Toronto, Cannes, right? Yeah. Um, film festivals. They care about actors that you can attach, mm-hmm. right? Like, uh, you know, George Clooney saw this short and loved it. Like, that that is more valuable than like 10 million views on your viral video yeah, absolutely right in this world and so i think part of what we are are navigating now is we we have the confidence to make the stuff we have no fears about how good we can make a show or a product or a video or a commercial but we we need to change our language and how we're pitching ourselves mm-hmm. and it's less about that viral video that i made for quiznos and it's more about the core idea of what their show is and how I think I can elevate it and get excited about it and speak the language that will give either the show creator or the ad agency or whatever I'm pitching on the confidence that I am going to execute their project on and in a way that's better than they could do on their own yeah and with the uh the confidence and the steadfastness to do it all on their terms so I actually pitched I didn't really pitch, but I had an interview today, a phone interview for a pilot. It's a pilot presentation for E, uh, a scripted show, but for E and E, the E channel. I think it's interesting because of two reasons. Number one is the way I got the interview is that I had lunch with my friend at one of my favorite restaurants, Sweet Green in Hollywood. And so this Sweet Green happens to be right next door to Viacom, where, you know, Comedy Central is and all these other networks. It's right by, it's kind of in the hub of Hollywood. So there's just a lot of hustle and bustle. And it's a restaurant that has a lot of turnover. So people are passing through there a lot. So while I was eating with my friend Mo, who has done a lot of stuff with Comedy Central and knows the comedy world really well, we saw four or five people come in and out of the restaurant that he knew. And you know, we just said hi to all of them. Oh, what are you working on? What are you working on? The standard conversation. And then I got an email yesterday from Mo that said, hey, that one guy that we met at Sweetgreen the other day is looking for a director for this pilot presentation. And I recommended you and he's going to talk to you about it. So I I know people get really frustrated when we talk about why LA is like a place that makes things easier to get into the film industry. But Absolutely, 100%. If I wouldn't have been having lunch with him, then I would not have had this interview today. And I actually, since we had our somewhat weird episode about me asking you about drinks, I have made it a personal goal to work on my networking because it is a very important part of growing your career, especially when you're trying to level up, as we're saying, you need to start expanding your network instead of just working with the same people that you've worked with forever. And networking is part of it. So I've been planning a lot of lunches and a lot of just emailing people and getting 
or just reminding people that I exist, sending them my reel just for fun. Uh, and it's totally working. And my wife, I think I told you about this. She booked two jobs this week from literally just emailing producers she knew and saying, hey, by the way, uh, I just did a few new things and yeah, got a new headshot. Are. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, keep me in mind for something. And she got two like jobs a, in a week. That's insane. Yeah. So it it can never hurt just reminding people what you do and that you're around because whoever, whenever a job pops up, people usually just think of the last person the last they thing. talk to because mm-hmm. they don't know what that director they worked with three years ago is doing right now. Right. But if yeah. uh, they talked to a director last week, they'll probably think of them instead. Or they assume that you're off and you're busy and you're doing something crazy, you know? Right. And so the other thing that I thought was interesting about this, and I wanted to talk to you specifically is the show, since it's a show for E is being produced by a company that has done a lot of other shows for E, but they've all been unscripted. Mm-hmm. And the company really mainly focuses on unscripted, oh, I see. which sometimes is like a nice word for reality TV, mm-hmm. right? So they do more of like the Real Housewives type of show, but they're doing a scripted show now, a scripted comedy show. So on one hand, that's really cool because I feel like I can bring in a scripted comedy background and hopefully give them some confidence that we'll pull it off and i have done some unscripted stuff and some semi-scripted stuff uh that i think helps me understand their language but so one of the interesting things that the ep the owner of the company that interviewed me today said was that we were talking about the crew and he said you know we're going to give you a costume designer and and a set designer and a camera team which is basically unscripted language for a DP, a production designer, and a costume designer. Uh, And he said, and then we will give uh, you a story producer for the edit, which is something that in the scripted world just sounds like bizarre, right? Right. And we'll give you an associate producer to be kind of the number two person on set with you, right? And so I thought, since you've done some unscripted stuff, could you help illuminate what that means what's a story producer and what's an associate producer in the reality world yeah because it's a very different thing than in the feature world and in the scripted tv world yeah i mean i i've only done a little bit i just did the the series that i just wrapped um was kind of in the docu-series reality style a little bit more than i had ever done before so we still you still script out beats you still have moments that are planned um you know and sometimes you even have lines that you need people to say um, but the story producer is going to be, you're going to treat them more like a writer. They're going to be more involved in the creative. And I think that that relationship kind of, you have to set your own terms on what it's going to be. Basically. Sometimes people are like, I'm the producer, I'm the king of the castle. And sometimes that's like, oh, they're, you know, a collaborator with you. It depends on their background and the way that they're used to thinking of directors. Because the thing you have to remember is that oftentimes in reality, the director is more of a technician. They're more like a DP and they're less story oriented. They're less performance oriented. And that the producer is often kind of like running the show, you know, like when you watch unreal, all of the lead characters are producers. None of them are directors. None of them are, I don't know. Is there even a director on the show in the, in the series? There's I a DP, there but, like, is. but it, it, he's probably more, or she is more like calling shots than like anything else. Yeah, I forget exactly how they do it. I know that the DP 
is really interested in directing and so he gets to direct some episodes or something i forget exactly how it works but yes and the unscripted world, the story producers are really the ones that are figuring out what the story is. Yeah, dri- you know, driving and, the narrative in a way that right. we are used to. Yeah, And that's why they are really in charge of getting the dialogue out of the performers, the mm-hmm. talent, right? And they're also in charge of figuring out how it's all going to work in the edit, which in the scripted world, we think of producers as like figuring things, helping out logistics. on the script side, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then logistics during production. And then they might give some notes on the edit. Yeah. But they're not sitting there with the editor really moving shots around. Yeah. So it can be a really great collaboration the same way having a screenwriter on set can be really great. Um, Or it can create friction. You know, you have to have very clear terms with the person that you're collaborating with. Right. So that's my main advice on that stuff. Um, Or just uh, stick to scripted. (laughs) Right. Well, so I think I'm going to, if I do get the job, I know they did, he did give me the dreaded, uh, just so you know, I'm talking to a few other directors this week, so I'll get back to you, which is not na- is natural. I mean, everyone that has high a high stakes project needs to talk to a few directors sure. to figure out who the best fit is. Um, but if I do get the job, I wonder how much I should push the whole thing to be like a traditional scripted crew or how much I should try to fit a scripted project into the unscripted world, because that the entire company, you know, they have posts, yeah. they have everything is built around an unscripted workflow. I mean, I would, because the unscripted post workflow is relatively similar to any other post workflow. I'd, I'd push for more scripted, you know. I think you're, you're the new element in a system, and so you can kind of set some new standards and stuff and push back a little bit here and there because there are very specific reasons why the, the team is built the way it is for scripted versus unscripted. You know, like the last thing you want is for someone to be like, we'll move on. We already got that when you got it once, which often, right. often happens in doc style stuff. Great. Well, yeah. so speaking of us being up for a bunch of different jobs at the same time, I was thinking the other day, are you ever at a party and someone asks you like what you got going on, what you've been working on and what you've been working on lately? Exactly. And you have so many small things that you've been working on that it's really difficult to answer that question. So I was wondering, when people ask you that, do you talk about just the one or two projects that you're most excited about? Or do you try to give the laundry list of pitches you're involved in? Yeah. How do you handle that I question? I mean, I have done every single wrong version of that answer, answering <laughs> that question possible. Um you know, there's a couple ways that end up going because like the things that I am the most excited for are typically the shows, not typically, they're the things that I've created myself. So features that I'm working on or shows that I'm pitching and all of that stuff takes forever. And I can think of multiple parties where like I realized halfway through talking about the thing that I'm the most excited for, the passion project that is making real progress. Um, that I I talked to this person at Christmas about the same thing. And it feels like to an outsider, like, oh, poor Matt Enloe has just been toiling away on this stupid thing that isn't ever going to get made. When I'm like, no. May I challenge you? I'm going to challenge you on your answer. Sorry for interrupting. But if you were shooting that Netflix show that is not your show, but somebody else's show. Oh, I'd brag 
to no end about it, definitely. Right. You wouldn't say, well, I got a this thing I sold a few months ago and I'm waiting to hear on it and uh, I got this short film I'm working on. You would say, yeah, I'm doing a Netflix show and I got some other personal projects on the side. Well, But you would really lead with the job that you have that people have heard of. And I think whenever you or I are on big jobs, when you were doing that those two series back-to-back last year, CVNT5 and Townies, you weren't telling people about your... Uh, you know, your yeah, projects sure. that were in mid pitch. Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. Um, but that, but what you're really asking though, is what do you say when things are less concrete than that? You know, like in the same way, like if I sold that show and I was like, oh, I'm starting the writer's room on that thing tomorrow, then that would be the thing I'd be bragging about. Right. But you're really saying like when you're kind of like in between things and working on stuff a little bit and you don't want to, whine or complain or sound like you're not busy because you are very busy and you've got a lot of stuff going on but it sounds wishy-washy what do you say then that's your real question right or maybe even reverse it like if you ask someone what they're working on and they start listing seven things yeah then that it doesn't make you feel like they're not doing anything yeah yeah that's definitely true it sounds like oh you just listed seven things you're not going to finish right unless you're right. um big time if you're Guillermo del Toro and you're like, well, I just sold 15 things and my team's all working on it. But then you say, well, what are you most excited about? And he would say, oh, the passion project that I'm making. Right. I will say, I think, I'm sure I told you about this, but I recently took a parent and me class at a preschool with my daughter. And I was talking to one of the parents there and I had heard him saying, talking with another parent about writing. And I said, oh, are you a writer? And he said, yeah, I am. I said, oh, what kind of stuff do you write? And he's like, a variety of things. I wrote this uh, TV show and produced it called Transparent. But uh, I'm also, so I'm finishing that up, but I'm also writing this Mr. Rogers biography with Tom Hanks, and I'm working on uh, the Maleficent sequel with Angelina Jolie. So I got a few things going on. Sure. (laughs) So in that case, I was not like, ugh, this guy's got nothing going on. Good luck. Say hi to Tom for me. Yeah. Right. So... Yeah, well, it's when you've weird. got those you, sorts if, of bona fides, it's a different deal, right? Like, right. But there is something to the recognizable things. Like you're kind of trying to legitimize yourself as a director, writer, creator by saying, "Well, I have a show at Warner Brothers, you know, or I have a pitch here. Um, the CW is uh, packaging this thing for me." Yeah. Right. So I think it's actually now that I think about it, it might be a different version of that the problem that most new directors have when they move to LA and they have things, they have some, they're, they're trying to basically start their career. So they just finished, you know, their short from film school and they're getting it into festivals and they're writing some other shorts and they're working on their friend's film and they're shooting something and they're editing something and people at a party ask them, so what do you do? And they just can't say I'm a director because they're afraid to say I'm a director. Right. They'll say like, well, I'm an aspiring director. I'm like trying to direct. Uh, So I think like when you're in our position where you have been directing for a few years and that's your main income, but you don't have anything big going on exactly right now. uh, It's that it's a similar struggle in terms of coming off as confident and happy, but also giving an answer that's accurate to that question. Yeah. Or and, and also not wanting to brag. Right. Like. There's a little bit of um, like you don't want to seem arrogant, right? Like when things are going great, you don't want to be like, oh man, everything's so great. So you were 
you know, doing an impression of the guy who was wrote on Transparent and Maleficent in this Mr. Rogers movie. And like, you know, even in your impression, he was like, oh, this show called uh, Transparent. Like you, the right. impression you did, he threw it away, right? And that's not him being flip. Like, not that many people watched that incredible show, right? So you don't want to presume that people have heard of the things that you're working on, even if they're giant, you know? Um, right. So, you know, I think this is an interesting segue because I think what we're really talking about is like, you know, how you present yourself and the way that you talk about your work. And the answer, the short answer or the real answer is just think about it. Think about the thing you're most excited about and what would be a good story. You know, I've been talking about the show that you talked about with before that you were on as a drone operator where we were zip lining in the rain. I've been, I've right. been telling that story for the last couple of weeks and it kills. <laughs> it kills. So thinking about, about it in those contexts, it's like, how can you be entertaining? How can you like add something to the conversation? How can you talk about the thing that you're excited about and how, what will that spark in the other person, right? Because that's, it's not about bragging. It's about, you know, interacting with people and communicating with them. So think, think about that when you're the next time you're going to be in a social interaction, but Oren. Right. Well, can I, I'm just going to yeah. add two things to that before we go into the next topic. I think there's one approach is less is more. Like when I asked Payman Benz what he's working on. So this is a guy that's directed a ton of awesome comedies, right? He said he's in development right now. That's all he said. So that is one thing that you can answer, right? When you have like 10 different projects going and you don't know which one exactly is going to hit. But if you are talking to someone that might be helpful for one of your projects, I do sometimes like to throw out a log line. You know, uh, if I'm talking to a producer or a writer or a DP or an actor, sometimes part of, for me at least, talking to people at parties about my projects is especially like my personal project is I'm kind of pitching them, right? And seeing if people are reacting to them. If I tell three people like, oh, I'm doing a, a movie about me and my brothers and we have these superpowers, but none of us get along with each other. Like I'm trying to see if people think like, oh, that sounds too familiar or boring or cliche or interesting. And every person I talk to, I tell them that in a slightly different version. Sometimes I'll talk about my relationship with my brothers and then... I add in the superpowers. Sometimes I just start with the superpowers and then bring in the plot. And to me, part of like talking about your projects at a party is about getting people interested, but also seeing what is working and what isn't seeing working. What's clicking. Yeah, I think that's interesting. The elevator pitch doesn't necessarily have to be to someone that is going to buy your project. It can just be someone that you can get feedback from by reading their reaction. Those are the my final two thoughts on talking to people at parties about what you're working on. Well, segueing a little bit, Oren, we were t- on on the topic of the way that somebody presents themselves. Uh, Oren on Vimeo, a yes. listener commented on your reel, the reel that we've been talking about for the last two months. <laughs> right, I apologize for that. Oh wow! But here we are, and I think it's something funny and insightful, and I think that. What, do you have it handy? Can you read it to us? Yeah. So I got a comment on my reel from Sarah Bimji. I hope I'm saying that correctly. And Sarah or Sarah says, okay, I was not prepared for this to be that awesome. I'm a fan of the podcast, but honestly, your work is better than you present yourself on the podcast. It looks amazing. Is that a very backwards compliment? Question mark. So Sarah, no, it's not a backwards compliment because it's a thing that we talk about a little bit. 
off off mic, you know, I think in an effort to be transparent and to show you what the anxiety and the and the inner neuroses of and the inner neuroses of being a director. Yeah. Um and in the and being freelance and, you know, building a business, um, we talk about a lot of the conflict in our lives. Um and it's funny because you know, every once in a while, off mic, you and I will talk about like, oh man, our lives are awesome. They're great. We love them. Things are not that bad. <laughs> um, right. But the things we end up talking about on the podcast are the things that we want to work on and improve. And so we inadvertently um, tend to dwell a little bit on the negative parts of our lives. Do you think so? I kind of think going back to the title of our podcast that we are trying to present a positive take on being a filmmaker as a career choice. I think absolutely, absolutely. And I think that the underlying point of all of this always is like the answers are apparent and they're the things we talk about constantly. Shoot it yourself, hustle, there's enough opportunity for everyone. Don't wait for permission. Don't wait for permission. Wait for that actor that's a friend of a friend to maybe read it and maybe attach themselves. Yeah, just go shoot it. If I told you right now that you, if you had a script for a feature and I said, you can shoot it right now for a million dollars, or George Clooney said that he would play the lead male role, but six years from now he has an an opening. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Which one would you do? The million dollar feature, definitely. Without a, without a question. Yeah, I think it's so important. And yes, having George Clooney in your movie does mean you automatically get into Sundance. But also having made three movies over the next six years will mean your movies are getting better. Because Yeah, and also George Clooney won't be in your movie unless you have three movies already. Yeah. Like I, you'll wait you'll wait those six years and then George will be like, Wait, what what is Oren done again? <laughs> Right. I just keep hearing these stories about people having these great projects and they're just waiting and waiting. I mean, I guess I guess you sure. kind of have a project yeah. like that. Yeah. I I have multiple projects where that is that is the exact situation. That's, you know, I mean, you were joking about something that just sold to Warner Brothers, but like it was at Lionsgate before and it couldn't get going because we were waiting on talent. And I had to move on from that project even though it was sold with a real company. Um, right, and I'm lucky in that there's a happy ending of getting to make the show with another equally legitimate and frankly more exciting avenue. But um, that was sheer luck and and perseverance, you know. But going back to the point is, I think that like in all of those fundamentals of like just shoot it, don't wait, don't ask for permission, all that stuff. I think we're trying to validate the natural anxieties and fears that people have and the self-doubt and all of that stuff and as we're going through it, right? So that's why we're that's how we're relating to everybody, right? It's just like, hey, it's okay. You can overcome it as well. Right. Right. But inadvertently, you know, uh sometimes I think we undersell ourselves <laughs> in a funny way. Yeah. I guess I never really worry about that. I worry more about overselling myself. Which course, maybe I you, shouldn't. Right. I man, I'll tell you what, when I looked at that reel, I was like, Oh fuck, Oren has a ton of dope footage. Oh yeah. Even Matt, who ostensibly I know pretty well over the years, was like, 
Oh, I'm surprised that you have so many great things to put on your reel. I talk to you at least once a week for an hour about what you were working on. And I was surprised repeatedly with how much good stuff there was in it. Well, thank you. So, and I think that the takeaway for listeners is that we all are some version of this sort of timid person. Like there's always stuff that you're really excited about that you you desperately want to share with the world. And that's why you're a filmmaker. And, you know, you maybe you were raised a certain way or maybe society's told you not to do something or, you know, there are all sorts of different reasons why people don't want to seem like they're bragging or are arrogant or something like that. But I think that if you can find a way to inspire the same sort of excitement and passion that you have about your projects and the things that you're working on and the fact that you get to live your dream and that the privilege of making art is so incredible, if you can share that with people, they won't fault you for it. Yeah, if you're truly excited about something, tell people about it. And the thing that I am working on myself recently is realizing that to make something Obviously, it helps if you're excited about it, right? You have wrote a short script and you're super excited about it and you're going to go shoot it. The reverse also works. If you write something that you're like, well, this is kind of good, but easy to shoot, go make it. And by making it, you'll get excited you'll about get it. You'll get excited about it, yeah. And stop worrying about how excited you are about a project. Stop like worrying about how good something is going to be and just go make stuff. And that's, you know, I, we talk about this all the time. And the more you make stuff, the easier it'll be to get excited about it, the easier you can talk to other people and be this genuinely excited, passionate person, as opposed to someone that is trying to convince people <laughs> that you are excited and right. passionate. Or and just end up being ha- apprehensive. Yeah. I think also, um, it's just something I'm realizing and talking to you about it. We talk a little bit about money and how we'll take jobs for money and things like that. And like how stressed we are about that, again, because we're trying to relate to people and things. And I think you and I have both taken jobs that we are not in love with because we we want money, right? But also, it's worth acknowledging that we both do pretty well. Yeah, do you know what I mean? I mean and and like the, again, you don't want to sound like you're bragging. We survive in LA. Yeah, yeah. So so Oren, I'm gonna I'm gonna call bullshit on that. You do much better than survive in LA, and I think that. My point is not like to talk, hey, you know, everybody, Oren makes a ton of money. My point is that you need to let go of anxiety about things like that sometimes. Do you yeah. know what I mean? It's an it's another version of um, being apprehensive about shooting a short or is this good enough or not? It's like, oh, I need to take this job because I need money when in fact you're doing fine and it's a distraction from the thing that you actually want to do. Do you know right. what I mean? Yeah. No, I, I know. Uh, I think there's a, in this inherently Jewish thing in me, which is being constantly disappointed with <laughs> uh, where yeah. I am. I uh, mean, I think listeners would agree. I am equally apprehensive and nervous about that stuff. Right. And we it, just have a really inconsistent income. We right. can get it, land a huge job and fly first class to shoot a commercial in Kansas City or whatever. And then not have a job for two months and then right. have another giant job. Right. And, and then and, have 10 jobs in a row. And, you know, it's just part yeah. of our job as filmmakers is to not be rattled by the lows because we know the highs are also there. And I think 
Yeah. The lows and the highs, if I was making $10,000 a year or $100,000 a year or a million dollars a year, I think my anxiety would be exactly the same. Exactly the same. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I had one last question uh, to talk to you about, also related to how you present things to people, because that is really what I've been doing a lot lately. Uh, if someone has anyone ever said, we want to develop something with you, send me some log lines. Does that happen to you? Yeah, sure. And so two questions. First question is, how many log lines would you send? Five to ten. Five to ten. Okay. And the second question is, would you try to make those, let's say, five log lines very different from each other? Or would you be okay with them all seeming thematically similar because they are about the things that you are interested in making right now? I would say that they would need to be different enough that they're like clearly separate ideas. You're saying you would say, hey, I had this idea for a couple that moves to Saudi Arabia mm-hmm. for a job and realizes that they're the outcasts there, even though back here mm-hmm. they were the uh, the native people. Mm-hmm. And we could also shoot this in Costa Rica. Like, is that is that how you would present that as opposed to two separate log lines? Mm, I, I, w- I guess w- I'm. Yeah, without without knowing for sure, I would say because the Costa Rican version is very different than the Saudi version. Right. So, like, I think you just need to be more specific with those log lines. So, like, the Saudi version is like a little bit, you know, more. I'm trying to think of the right comps, but like you would reference those movies. Right. It would be. Sleepless in Seattle in the Middle East versus like, um, it's they came together. You've got in Costa mail. Rica. You've in got Costa mail Rica. in Costa Rica. If it's you've got right. mail in Costa Rica and sleepless in Seattle in Saudi Arabia, then maybe you just need to pick one. Right. I'm asking because it's no secret. I talk about this a lot. I would love to direct a big superhero type of movie at some point in my life, and. A lot of my log lines are genre-wise in that superhero world. You know, either mm-hmm. we uncover that these people have some genetic anomalies that give them superpowers, or these brothers have superpowers, or this house gives mm-hmm. people the supernatural ability. Like, do you think it looks bad to pitch a bunch of ideas that have that as a theme in common? If they're really different ideas with different characters and different plots. No, I don't I don't think it's bad. I think that what I'm realizing now is that you need to change your resume. You know what I mean? Like like I think like are you coming in as like a action comedy director or are you coming in as a genre director? On my website I write a genre director, mm-hmm. but I feel like that is a little meaningless and I do think that there's like a hint of comedy in everything I do as much sure. as I've tried to stay away from that. Well, I think of like when you say genre director, the, the person who comes to mind to me first and foremost, and this is just my quirk, but it's like Joe Dante, right? Who did like gremlins and like robot jocks. And like, he was like a Spielberg brat basically. Right. Do you um, think of Spielberg as a genre director? No, but that's because of later Spielberg, I would say. You know, Amblin era stuff is like kind of just a version of like genre plus some domestic story. Right. So E.T. is just supernatural old old yeller. Right. But I would love to do that type of story. To me, that doesn't seem that far away from 
Midnight Special. Mm-hmm. You know sure. that movie? Yeah, yeah. I love that about movie. About a, a kid with supernatural abilities or... Yeah, I mean, that's a father and son story with a supernatural twist. From editing my reel, I realized that I do have a lot of comedy in everything I do. Yeah. But if you watch a movie like The Last Jedi or Thor Ragnarok, those movies are really funny. Yeah. So that is like the sweet spot for me is action comedy, mm-hmm. but it's less date night hangover right. and more in new worlds yeah. with funny elements. Yeah. I even think Fight Club is it's pretty funny. It's yeah. Pretty funny. Fincher fin- yeah. really thinks it's funny. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny. I've been thinking about that quite a bit myself in terms of just what my goals are, less about like what I'm specifically pitching, but more like what movies I want to make. And I think that in the realm of comedy, there's um, like Ryan Johnson doesn't ever think of himself as a comedy director, but like all of his movies have, jokes in them like you have to break yeah, tension brothers a bloom ones. and looper they sure. have a lot of really funny moments yeah but they also have high stakes moments and that's right. what i love is if you can bring laughs and emotions into the same movie right you win sounds like a great movie but i think that i i don't think that they mention comedy much when they're describing themselves i guess is what i'm saying like when you try to like encapsulate what ryan johnson does you don't really bring up the comedy part. Do you know what I mean? Because it's just another arrow in his quiver of like understanding pacing and how to make an entertaining, engaging movie. So some characters are going to be funny and some characters aren't, you know, whereas like an Adam McKay movie, there needs to be a joke on every line, basically. Well, he's a straight comedy director, right? That's what I'm saying. So like, Adam McKay is a comedy director. Ryan Johnson is not a comedy director. He's a filmmaker who makes things that have funny elements in them. Well, what about uh, Edgar Wright? Edgar Wright's a comedy director. Even though all his movies are super high concept. Yeah. Aliens in them. And- yeah, yeah. I mean, Shaun of the Dead is a, is a zombie comedy. Whereas uh, the James Gunn, Night of the Living Dead remake, or Dawn of the Dead remake, is a horror movie with comedic elements. Or Slither, Guardians, you know what I mean? Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. Guardians of the Galaxy. Like, people had a great time in that movie. That's an action movie with jokes in it. A lot of jokes. A lot, Way a, more jokes a lot than of action. Jokes. Yeah, definitely. Too many jokes, I would yeah, sure. argue, sure. in the second one. I don't know. Like, I, I think maybe we're in the weeds <laughs> on, like, how you present right. yourself and stuff. Which is, look, that's the nature of this show and the things that we're kind of obsessed with. But I would say, Oren, that you should sh- yes. you should shoot a short that's, like, what you want to be making. That's the real takeaway. I think the way I'm going to present these log lines is, look, I love grounded supernatural stories that Mm -hmm. lean more into a mainstream comedic sensibility than a horror sensibility. Mm -hmm. More fun and funny real characters and less monster stories and tension, really, really dark stuff. So with that, here are the five log lines that I'd be really excited about and the tonal references. Yeah. I, well, that's a good way to like set the table for just your voice in general. But I think also like when you pick your log lines, if you ever do any comps in addition to that, I think that there's a lot of power in there of like being like, you know, the comedic sensibility of a Guardians of the Galaxy, but with the scares of Night of the Living Dead. Yeah, I do have those comps 
in all of my log lines. So that's a way to give people a sense of tone, right? Because what you're, I mean, you're really describing the problem with log lines, right? Is that like you're trying to boil down a sophisticated thing with a lot of nuance and different tonal references. Yeah. Well, today I was pitching a friend all my log lines and I said, okay, and so this next one is a story about this couple. They go to a house and we find out there's a supernatural thing going on there. And I was like, and I know that in the last log line I said there a similar thing happens, but it's just the type of thing I want to make a movie about. <laughs> right? Yeah. So I found myself yeah, explaining why I keep hear yourself. Yeah. Telling the same story over and over. Yeah, that's funny. Um well great. Well thank you for the feedback. Maybe I'll yeah. send you the log lines and ignore any notes you give me back on them. Shall we get into our unpaid endorsements? Unpaid endorsements. This isn't a real endorsement, but it's something I was thinking about the other day. At least I must have because I wrote it down on a list of things to endorse. And it is the list of things that I think everyone should have in their car if they're a filmmaker. Ooh, do tell. I'm curious. They are incredibly obvious. The number one thing is change. Because believe it or not, even though most meters in L.A. will take credit cards, apparently no one in Glendale got that memo. Yeah. And you are driving to parts of town that you're probably not familiar with because your meetings are all over the place or you're scouting things. And like, so you're always going to some somewhere new. Right. I don't know if in other cities people park at parking meters that often, but I park at parking meters like three or four times a day. Yeah. Easy. So most of them take credit cards, but the ones that don't, make it really hard to be on time to meetings because I never have change. So I'm trying to make it a point to always have change in my car. You should always have a jacket just in case you end up staying out late or it gets cold for no reason. Gum, I think, is important, especially if you like onions and other very fragrant things, garlic, in case you have a meeting and you hate hanging out with yourself. Uh, I also like to have floss in my car. Ooh, good. I always have a checkbook in case... A checkbook? Yeah, in case I need to pay someone for something. You need to, like, you know, put a $100 uh, check in, like, for someone's birthday in a birthday card or something? <laughs> no, you know, if you are at Sammy's Camera and they're like, by the way, if you pay us in cash, we'll give you a discount, oh, but see. you don't... Who has cash nowadays? So a checkbook uh, or if the credit card machine's down. I don't know. I like having a checkbook. Good to be prepared. An extra phone charger, beyond obvious. And then my last thing that I have in every car is jumper cables. Even if you have a brand new car, you never know when you might leave your dome light on. But you also never know when you might be pulling up to someone that needs a jump. Yeah. Uh, And I find that it makes me feel really good if I can jump someone else's car. Makes me feel like I've helped helped someone that day, and I. Don't have to be as nice as I normally am. <laughs> there you go. I would also add a hat. I like to have a hat in the car because yes. you never know. Like you'll be out on location and you'll be in the sun. And that's a bummer. And then also sometimes, uh, like I know a few DPs that will keep just a pair of boots in the car. You know, yeah, and they can change into the boots. And in the winter, a garbage bag is nice too, in case it rains and you need to cover equipment or your camera or your backpack or something. Make it waterproof. I love that. So. Random endorsement. Those are the things. I'm actually curious what uh, our listeners keep in their car and think is important for filmmakers to have. If anyone has any 
feedback on that, please email us and we'll share it on the show. Email you know us what? at justshootitpod at gmail.com. Or you can check out our Facebook page. I'll throw that up as a question. You can comment on the thread. How about that? Perfect. And our favorite answer gets a Just Shoot It sticker. Yeah, one of the stickiest stickers we've ever made. A sticky sticker. Um, also, uh, while we're on the topic of stickers, I'll just remind everybody, um, if you wrote us an iTunes review and you want a sticker, uh, shoot us an email. A couple of listeners have, and I, I was very delighted to send out their stickers, so keep an eye out. Um, so if you want to add a new one and you want a sticker, shoot us an email. Or if you did it already and you want a sticker, I'll send you a couple. You can give them to your friends, throw them on your laptop cases. Uh, then when you're writing in a cafe, you'll see an, a fellow fan. Maybe you'll become best friends. Okay, you've stalled enough. What's your unpaid Ooh, endorsement? Tread and water. Um, my, you can see I'm, we're recording from home right now, and I'm like scanning my bookshelves. <laughs> Oh, you know what? You know my un- unpaid endorsement. I haven't gotten too far into it, but I'm my curiosity is peaked. Uh, Lost in Space. Oh yeah, I, I keep getting pitched that by Netflix to watch. You know, it's funny because it's like it's such a old fashioned style idea, but I feel like I reference it constantly as my go to example of like a good monster of the week sort of show. You know, like the original series, it was like they were kind of bouncing from planet to planet and stuff. Or I guess that's not really true, but I guess that's always what I'd imagined. Anyway, the new series is pretty cool, and I love, like, um, it kind of combines old-fashioned sci-fi with, like, your survivalist sort of, like, Swiss Family Robinson sort of story. Um, And that's really fun. So uh, I have been enjoying it, and um, I hope that it continues to be as fun and as dumb as it is. Cool. I'll check it out. Well, thanks, Matt. Thanks, Oren. If you guys have any recommendations or feedback, please send us an email at justshootitpod at gmail.com, or you can tweet at us or send us a message on Instagram. We are just shoot it pod at both those places. We are on Facebook. We'd love to have you subscribe. Please, please, please leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps us with the podcast, and we read all our reviews on the show. Don't forget about subscribing to Patreon. The first 150 people to subscribe to Patreon get a special little gift, so feed all of your friends, get the gift, and it's going to be super fun, and support our editors and producers and everybody. And that's at patreon.com slash justshootitpod. Our music was provided by the Free Music Archive and the artist, Jazar. This episode was edited by Jay McAuliffe, and our webmaster is Ewan Williams. And our producer, our brand new producer, is Madeline Roswett. Thanks, guys. Bye. Thanks, everyone.